Okay, so we are looking at the series of uh, people who had encounters with Jesus and doing our best to learn from that, take from that what we can about who Jesus is, uh, how he meets us, where we're at, what we can then expect in our own lives, given the fact that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. We've looked at some amazing encounters and uh, this one is no different. Um, except perhaps that we're going to be looking at two encounters in one because these two encounters are very much entwined together. And I think, you know, obviously they happened together historically, but there's no uh, there's no mistake that they happened together because um, there's so much to, to pull out, both in um, in contrast, particularly in, in the way they contrast together and what they bring out of, of who Jesus is. So we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 4. Starting at verse 21, I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter. Okay, here we go. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the report about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment, for she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, well, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's mother and father and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. It's God's word. And um, before we begin to pull out separate elements of this encounter for the different people, first I want you to just notice the contrast between the two. Um, I'm sure there's more, but what struck me in reading this story is three things, three contrasts. The first is that the woman, before she is healed, seems to understand and seems to know that Jesus is powerful. We're told that she'd heard reports, um, but doesn't she seem sure about his compassion, which is why I guess she thought that the more anonymous, the better, um, because she wasn't hopeful if Jesus saw and knew her. 
um, that she would be welcomed, that she would be embraced and that she would be healed. So she seemed sure, but she seemed sure that if she could just touch his garments, the healing would come. So for her, there was a sense, in a sense, she got, she understood his power, but was not as sure around his compassion. The man, it seems that it was the opposite, that he understood Jesus was compassionate, but really wasn't sure the extent of his power. So the man falls on his knees and pleads uh, with Jesus, imploring him earnestly, my daughter's at the point of death. Um, he, and so he, he's appealing to the heart of Christ. He's appealing to Christ's compassion that he will, on the grounds that this is his own daughter, that he will come. But he doesn't understand the extent of Christ's power, which is why when the daughter moves from being on the point of death to crossing the line over into death, um, it's assumed that it's too late. So there's a slight contrast there, it seems. And then secondly, it's obvious that the woman has had a terrible 12 years in this condition where she's been suffering from this bleeding and using all her money to try to get relief, but none of it working. And um, she needs Jesus to reverse the current direction of her life. She's had a terrible 12 years and needs Jesus to reverse it. It seems, we can read in between the lines, that the Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, has had a brilliant 12 years, because that's how long his daughter's been alive, and um, dear to his heart, watching her grow up and develop, and the joy that that brings a father. Brilliant 12 years, and, 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 and he needs Jesus to continue the current direction of things. So... She's had a terrible 12 years and needs Jesus to change things. He needs, he's had a great 12 years and needs Jesus to continue it. And then the final contrast is that the woman is an outcast in every way. She's um, unclean and um, really not at all embraced by a society. Even spiritually would have been considered unclean. She's way on the outskirts. She's way outside. Whereas Jairus is right in the centre. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He's, he's spiritually right at the heart of things, socially, right at the heart of things. There couldn't be two more different people. Um, the point I want to make really through this is this, that there isn't a following Jesus type of person. I think sometimes people make the assumption that a Christian is a certain kind of person. Oh, those kinds of people become Christians. Oh, all you've got to do is read the Bible, but also be around Christians to understand that nothing could be further from the truth. Really, the key for both of them was desperation. Um, they knew that they needed Jesus and that they needed Jesus in a profound way. They needed Jesus in a deep way. Um, they didn't come to Jesus to get a little, a little boost. Um, it's been said by various Christian teachers over the years that God loves a desperate soul because I think that when we find ourselves in desperate situations, we, we can move from the superficial state of mind that we often live in to a place where actually we begin to cry out from the depths of our soul and our spirit. And the, the Bible talks about deep calling to deep in terms of the way that the Lord wants to um, relate with us and know, know us is on the most profound level of our soul. It's not to be a superficial thing at all. Um, so there's this desperation. And then, Really, there are these, these seasons of life that are, that are out of control, that are beyond our reach. We can't, we can't fix it. And um, again, we see that in both these people's situations in this story, and the, the, the lesson they're being is that he's in, 
he's in control. He really conducts the orchestra of life and death. And with the little girl particularly, it appears that her particular part in the symphony is over. Uh, but it turns out it was just a little rest. Because, uh, you see, Jesus conducts the whole thing. So, so desperation is a key often in finding the Lord. Um, seasons where we're out of control can be instrumental in finding the only one who's truly in control and deliver, being delivered from the deception, the false idea that we are in control, we aren't. And then finally, we see in the story that Jesus' timing is unfathomable. Um, there is a need, uh, a need for humility so that we can get um, to Jesus when things are at their bleakest, whether internally we're struggling or whether things are going wrong, circumstantially, um, because he has, he has the healing touch. And um, so many people enjoy the companionship of Jesus when they're on the mountaintops, but they forget that he's there in the valley. They, for, they forget this, that he, doesn't, he never leaves, he never forsakes. If he comes, he comes and he stays and he abides with us forever. It's the wonder of, of knowing him. But, uh, and so in that sense, we, we, I think we, we need to be very um, confident that uh, he will, though he will allow us to walk through some very tough seasons where the pain is very, very real and we're not quite sure why he hasn't yet delivered us. Um, and we think, Lord, where are you in this? Actually, he is with us in it. He is with us in it. And though his timing in terms of deliverance and breakthrough can be unfathomable, he's there with us. Let's never forget Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is mountaintop Christianity, isn't it? He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And then, boom, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Oh, why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's with us in the highs. And he's with us in the lows. And sometimes the lows don't end as quickly as we'd like. And we'd hope that there would have been a deliverance sooner, earlier. And we wonder, where are you with me in this, Lord? And he answers, I, I'm right here with you in this. And it's, uh, it's important that we understand that so we cannot panic, that we stay close to him and wait for him to bring us out into a spacious place. So let's look at these two characters. Really, let's look at the woman first of all. Let's look at what she had to push through, what the particular barrier it seems would have been for her, and the lessons learned through her encounter with Jesus. The, the thing she'd really have to push through, I would imagine, is is, is that there's a, there's a crowd around Jesus. I'm told there's this crowd, people are all around him, and it wouldn't have been like an English crowd, fairly respectable, fairly polite. Um, in 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 the in the Middle East, uh, what we would describe in the West as personal space is not valued in the same way. Um, which is why when Jesus said, "Who touched me?" Um, the disciples thought it was a crazy question. The crowd's all over you. You see, there wasn't there wouldn't have been like a uh, how can I describe it a gap between Jesus and the crowd of a you know, a meter or so, and you know come they were all over him. He was being touched constantly, and so. 
the woman comes, she needs a touch from Jesus, but actually there's so many other people that also do. That's the problem, you see. That's the thing she has to push through. There seems others, and maybe some of them looked a lot more uh, desperate and needy than her. Others who may need him in quotes more. Um, temptation to you know wait f- to form an orderly queue to, to get in line, um, but she had to really push through that because she just had to get to Jesus. She had to get through all, all of that and just say, "I need him," uh, and just go for it. And actually, is commended for that. And so there's there's something there for us. I think sometimes we can be a bit polite. Oh, Jesus has got so many other prayers he's answering, or so many other needs he's sorting out, or whatever. And we've just got to get to Jesus and let him worry about um, who's top of the list, or who knows how these things work. But let him deal with it. You you just get to Jesus. But so she, that's what she has to push through. And then what does she learn? Well, she learns maybe a couple of things. Maybe the first thing is is that Jesus isn't just a power source. He's the healer. One of God's names in the Old Testament is Jehovah Rapha, I'm the Lord who heals you. And uh, she needed to realise this. Like I said at the start, I'm sure she understood Jesus' power, but actually, you know, it's, it's a different thing from that. He's the healer, and his heart is to his heart is to heal. It's not just like a con- sort of a power conductor that walks around, bzz, bzz, you know, giving out electric shocks to people. No, no, no. His heart. Is one of compassion. His his uh, his heart is to heal and to mend, and to restore. That's the heart of God. That is absolutely the heart of God. And where we read passages in the Bible where there's destruction from God and judgment from God and all of these things, you think, well, where does that work? Well, here's how it works. God only destroys destructive things. God only destroys things that threaten to destroy His creation. You see. Because his heart is to heal, amend and restore his creation. And you are part of his creation. And so he wants to restore you. It's the heart of God. It's the heartbeat of God. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. There's always fresh compassion. He's always freshly moved by our plight. He's also, this, is, this is the heart of God. And we need to understand that. We see that in this story um, which is this, so she learns that Jesus isn't just the power source, but the healer. And the second thing she learns is this, is that Jesus isn't into anonymity. He's not, he's not satisfied with us being anonymous, but calls us into his presence. She's noticed among the crowd. He, he really fundamentally calls her forward for a personal encounter. You think, well, why? Because sometimes it's easier to be anonymous, isn't it? Sometimes we have people at church who deliberately would come a little bit late and would sit in the furthest corner and deliberately leave a little bit early because there's a desire for anonymity. They'd really rather not be recognised, known, approached. Why? Well, who knows? Any number of reasons. But um, we need to realise that though we can do that... um, maybe get away with that for a while in church or in churches actually fundamentally it's not what Jesus is about see he wants to he wants to he wants that personal encounter with you and here's why it's in order to destroy your fears 
and assure your heart. You see, I'm sure he said, but who touched me? She thought, oh no, you imagine the woman thinking, oh no, I don't, I don't believe it. I've touched him, I've been healed, you know, I'm on my way out of here. You know, it's like a sort of a, it's like a sort of black ops, you know, I've gone in and I'm out, you know, I'm, I'm out. And suddenly, pause, Jesus says, who touched me? Oh no, it's me, I've been caught out. But why does he do it? Well, actually, he does it to destroy her fears and assure her heart. He calls her daughter. He wants, her to, he wants her to know that she's not just healed physically. There's, there's, been, there's more than that. She's come to Jesus and he wants to, he wants to come to her. The Bible says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. She does exactly that. She draws near to God. And what does God do? He draws near to her. He calls her. He calls her to himself and looks upon her and has compassion on her. And um, says the, uh, these beautiful words that we've read that you can imagine just destroy in the moment all these fears and anxieties that would have been rising up in her heart and that she would have been uh, considering daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease go in peace I mean, it's just beautiful and you know some of you just need to hear that today daughter son it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's Christ it's who he is um, and then and then we have the man now the man I think he has a, I think he has an even tougher one of it than and the woman in the story, the, the man, what, what does he have to push through? Well, he, ha- he has to bring something very personal into the public arena in order to find Jesus. It's an incredible thing. He, he, I mean, if my daughter was close to death, I wouldn't want to bring that. I, you know, sometimes when something terrible is happening, you don't even want to voice it. You don't even want to say it because it just feels more and more real when you say it, you know. And it's such a terrible thing. And you think, oh. You know, I'm sure I, I would just I would just wanted to get hold of Jesus, but not like this, not falling down, you know, in front of Jesus and saying this in front of everyone. I mean, it's, suddenly it's so vulnerable. The whole thing's so vulnerable. But he has to he has to bring this personal thing into the public arena, and there is something of that. Sometimes in getting to Jesus, you you have to bring your life, your soul, your heart, your mind, who you are. You have to bring it into the public arena. You, so. There are other people that hear about your life and what's gone on. It's not just you and Jesus. There's something about that. It's the purpose of God to bring us, to reconcile us, not just to himself, but to one another and to create community. We have to push through that where we think, oh, does people have to know my problems? Do people have to know my sins? And you can be very tempted to just keep it all in. But it's not. it's not... It's not the way to fruitfulness or life. You've got to be wise and appropriate in who you share what with. But this, this is part of what the church is about. It's very, very important. So he has to push through that. And then, but then when he does and he meets Jesus, what things does he learn? Well, he learns firstly that Jesus moves as Jesus moves. And we can't really disturb it. Jesus, the way Jesus moves is absolutely mysterious. When people say the Lord moves in mysterious ways, they're not, you know, that's true. I mean, you think he... He cries out to Jesus. Jesus goes with him. He goes on his way with him to his house. So it's starting to look good. And then suddenly Jesus stops. Who touched me? Then there's this very frustrating encounter. I mean, the dad's here the whole time watching this. And you think, Jesus, what are you doing stopping her? Why are you asking who touched you? Why are you talking to that old woman for now? What is this? What's going on here? It's just frustrating. You want him to get to where you are before it's too late. And, And then it's devastating. So, that, so it's good, then it's frustrating, then it's devastating because the news comes that she's died. What a journey. 
What a roller coaster. And then it goes from being devastating to being amazing. Because his daughter was raised from the dead. I just want to say sometimes it's a bit like that when you look to Jesus. <laughs> it can look really good for a while and then it can get a bit frustrating. And, and then there are moments where it seems devastating. But then uh, it's amazing. And <laughs> you know what I'm talking about for many of you who know Jesus. And um, But I want to say one way or the other, when you look to Jesus, it does always end in dancing. There's always a dance at the end. And, and I think sometimes, I would say very, very often this side of eternity. Sometimes, sometimes on certain elements you have to wait until the age where all the tears are wiped away. But it always ends in dancing. He learns that. Also learns this is never too late for a miracle, even when we think that oh the time's passed now, you know, and that voice comes into your head, don't trouble the teacher anymore, you know. You know, it's an interesting thing. You can think actually it was the voice of reason really. That's what it was. It it wasn't unreasonable, it was very reasonable. She did. It was a very reasonable thing to say. Um you know, someone's gotta tell him. It's you've missed you've missed the moment. So it's very reasonable, but actually Jesus comes straight against that. Jesus contradicts it. Jesus, Jesus says, no, let's not, let's not respond to the voice of reason in this situation. Um, and actually, sometimes that voice of reason can be satanic. Sometimes it can be the thing that keeps you from, from the thing that, that God has for you. Oh, it's too late for that now. Well, actually, hmm, don't be afraid. Only believe. I think he learns another thing as well. I think I think I think that the uh, the dad learns that Jesus isn't impressed with commotion. He's not impressed with just noise and volume and nonsense. That in and of itself has no virtue. It's not wrong to shout. It's not wrong to make noise. But noise won't bring the kingdom of heaven. Noise won't. You know, there's this commotion. Jesus, oh, get them out of the way, will you? She's only. You know, she's asleep. Actually, <laughs> she's not dead. And they laugh. It wasn't real mourning. It was just noise. It was just commotion and. You know, we need to make sure we yeah, so we recognise that actually commotion and noise in and of itself is not gonna it's not gonna uh, it's not gonna move the heart of God in and of itself. Uh, there is sometimes a shout that comes from the spirit, and that's great. But noise in and of itself, it's no big deal. I think the final thing that Dad learns is that Jesus loves the whole person. <laughs> Incredible, really, isn't it? Give her something to eat. You know, you think, is that, you know, if I'd done this miracle, is that what I'd be saying? Yeah, I'll give her something to eat. No, I, I think I'd be, oh, quick, you know, get the media in, you know. Yeah, 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 I was here, yeah. It was me. <laughs> Jesus, oh no. Give her something to eat. It's just beautiful. Just beautiful. And as I was preparing this, I did feel the Lord just want me to ask the question, have you been eating okay? And just to say, unless you're fasting, it's not big or clever to miss meals. If you're not fasting, it's not, there's nothing good about it, nothing clever about it. Um, we live in an age where it's, there's all kinds of confusion, physicality and appearance. And we read of children as young as five, six, seven with eating disorders. I just want to say, you know, Jesus is interested in the whole person. And uh, make sure you're eating okay. Yeah, just an important thing there. So these man, this woman and this man learnt some amazing things. They, uh, and I think the conclusion is, is this: you have to get to Jesus. 
You have to get to him. And once you've got to Jesus, you have to keep getting to Jesus. Because <laughs> that's the Christian life. The Christian life is getting to Jesus and then getting to Jesus and then getting to Jesus. Remember what we looked at the other week? Yes, we've been saved. Thank God. But we're also being saved and we will be saved. So we, so we, and so there's this ongoing dynamic. It's about constantly being found in Christ. And well, what can get in the way? Well, we looked at some things in this story. Some of the opposites. You can be lack of desperation. You can be too polite. It can be a fear of being found out. Not wanting others to know what's going on. It can be that it seems as it's too late or it's too small for Jesus to be interested in. Push through and find Him. Because when you find Him in the heart of hearts, when you find Him and He makes his presence known in your spirit by his spirit, you'll be in a place where your faith does not rest in men's wisdom, but in the power of God. And that's, that's, that's where we should be. Our faith ultimately should not be resting in the wisdom of men. Oh, this person preached it and this, the way they said it, I wasn't really moved. No, no, it should be in the power of God that by his spirit he is changing our hearts and, and working in us and that we know he's a living, abiding presence in us. That's what we should be about. And uh, I want to just... Finish by looking at these two miracles in light of Jesus' incredible work on the cross and his resurrection. You say, well, how, you know, in one sense, how was Jesus able to stop the, this, the flow of blood from, from the woman? How, how, was, how was that? Well, you know, ultimate, in an ultimate sense, it's because he let his own blood flow. In an ultimate sense, he willingly allowed all his blood to flow for there to be his life poured out on the cross as he was crucified there. And we're told he took on every infirmity and every sorrow and affliction and, and pain. And so that's really the heart of all healing is found there. The heart of all healing is found in the, by his stripes. We are healed. It's in his atoning death. For us, and similarly, you know, through his resurrection, how how could he deal with death, and how could he how could he beat death with this young girl and raise her to life? How, how could he do that? Well, it's because he himself beat death. He, you know, we're told that the sting of death is sin, uh, but Jesus didn't have any sin. He was tempted in every way, like you and me, but he didn't have any sin. And so, after he died on the cross, really. There was nothing on him. He couldn't be held in any way by death. Death had no sting for Jesus because Jesus, Jesus had no sin. And so he rose from the dead physically. Two days later, as the first fruits, signifying that there will be a physical resurrection for all of us. We will all be raised from the dead to stand before the judgment seat of God. And, and so really Jesus, these miracles done in the moment and in Jesus' lifetime actually are made possible and enabled through his mighty death and resurrection. And we just declare that Jesus is alive and has, after appearing to his disciples over 40 days, returned to be with the Father and is ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand until all of his enemies are placed under his feet when he will then return to the earth and hand over his kingdom that's been established to the Father and where we're told that God will be all in all and It'll be an amazing, amazing age of free from pain, an age free from mourning, death, sadness. We'll be ushered in. We'll dwell in the new heavens, 
a new earth, physically, gloriously, eternally, by all that Jesus has won for us. Let's keep getting to Jesus. Amen.